Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up earlier today with Brian Dalton, CEO at Altius Minerals. And they had a pretty good year last year, 67 million of uh, revenues. We talk about this year, where's the growth coming from? Is it going to be organic M&A? Or is just the commodity price is going to do it for him? He gives us his thoughts on that and also their plans uh, going forward for generating more cash. Uh, if you want our thoughts and opinions on the conversation, you can join us at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club, where you can also find detailed company reports and analysis. We've got commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of companies and commodities, including the EV Thermatic. We've got training courses on there, and we've got summaries of all the interviews that we've done, just to save you some time, because we know you're busy people. But most of all, there's a wonderful community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, friendly and safe environment, free from all that nasty judgment, trolling and abuse you see elsewhere. If that sounds nice to you, and I hope it does, go and join them, cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. There's a bit of a waiting list at the moment, being slightly inundated with applications, uh, but bear with us. Yeah, it's well worth the wait. Brian, how are you, sir? Fantastic. How about yourself? All good. All good. Haven't seen you since uh, November. You look like you've been a little bit busy. It's been very busy. Well, right at November, that was the end of the hunting season. So it was time to really get to work again. And uh, you got me now just before the fishing season opens up. So I, great I, time. Great book ending. I, are you, I don't know if you're talking metaphorically or you're actually talking about hunting and fishing. Oh, I'm very direct here. <laughs> okay. I've got a lot of kids. I've got a lot of kids to feed, you know. Yeah, this is this is true. This is true. Well, sure. The best way is to don't, don't give them a fish, teach them to fish, right? Absolutely. Lesson for life. Hey, um, well, like, I'm delighted to catch up with you. I really enjoyed the last session where you kind of really dug down into the business plan strategy and so forth. And I think given the timing and events in the market in terms of EV, the EV thematic, copper price, nickel price, et cetera, et cetera, uh, it's a good time to catch up. But before we do, because there's lots of new entrants into this mining investment space. Can you give me a one minute overview and I'll pick it up from there? Sure, sounds good. So Altius is a royalty focused business. Um, it's overall exposures relate to uh, a number of broader thematics that are active in the world right now uh, relating to electrification, transportation, electrification and whatnot, which goes to our exposures in copper, nickel, battery metals, lithium, cobalt. Uh, we also are the majority shareholders of a newly spun out company called Altius Renewable Royalties that invests directly in renewable energy projects. And then underpinning the, the more mineral side of the business, we have what we call our project generation group, which does its own work identifying mineral prospects, bending them out in exchange for equity positions and royalties. And the key here is that a differentiator for us would be that, um, you know, our exposures are more on the industrial side than the precious metal side. So more industrial metals and commodities. Right. Okay. Brilliant. Um, since we last spoke, you've got an IPO out of the way. How was that for you? Yeah, that was a lot of work. It was fun, but it was a lot of work. I, I forgotten how much work these things were. Altius will be 25 years old next year. Altius Minerals, the parent. So this spin out of Altius Renewable Royalties. Um, yeah, it was a lot of work. It may be 25 years before we tackle it again. I, I thoroughly recommend that. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's tough, but it, it needed um, 
doing. In fact, do you know what would be really useful is for you to kind of break down the, the constituent parts because you've got Altius Minerals, the parent company. You've also got Altius Resources and then obviously you've got the new spin-out, um, the you know renewable royalties component too. So just tell us, you know, why each one of those is necessary. Why is that not all, not all under one roof? Right. So maybe a real quick history will explain things. We started life as a project generation business and we made an awful lot of money doing that. So we had to figure out a way to deploy that, that capital effectively uh, that wouldn't or didn't involve us becoming a mining company. And that's where we decided to begin investing in buying more advanced stage mineral royalties. So we've been busy at that for a number of years. One of the components that we acquired as part of a, a package deal uh, brought us on some thermal coal royalties. So that was a potash coal uh, package deal. The coal side of things caused us some real grief pretty quickly. As I'm sure most people uh, know what's happened in terms of thermal coal and its overall trajectory right now. And from that, we decided to pivot and we decided to take whatever revenues were going to come from those coal assets and to begin building a new business to invest directly in renewable energy projects. So that's been underway for a few years. It's really been gaining traction and building up. But the truth is, is that there is a bit of a difference between the investor base, the natural investor base for people who would invest in the renewable energy sector and the minerals royalty side of things. So that uh, as that business grew, we made the decision that it probably should have its uh, its own listing and its own source and cost of capital and whatnot. So that's the new spin out that you've, you've talked about. So Altius Minerals, the original business, that's where all the mineral royalties are housed. It's where the project generation business continues and that's growing our portfolio of mineral royalties. But Altius Renewable Royalties is now a separate public company that has Altius Minerals Corporation as its major shareholder. Okay, great. But the basic thematic is set up for this kind of green future that lots of people are now talking about. When you started doing that, they weren't talking about it so much. No, we've been aligning ourselves with what we felt were you know major thematics, macro trends that ultimately at their heart had you know a growing sustainability route to them. And so, you know, potash, just global uh, food security and, and, and increasing um, yields from agricultural land as populations grew, copper on broad electrification themes, you know, including renewable energy and uh, transportation shifts, uh, nickel, lithium as transportation electrification in particular took hold, even iron ore which you know maybe people wouldn't equate automatically with uh with sustainability trends um all you have to do is uh you know is, is you know you hear a lot about green steel these days or cleaner steel you know after transportation is solved the big issues you've got going forward are, are co2 and other pollutants that come from uh, what, what people call these hard to fix industries like steel making or concrete or, or cement making well, on the iron ore side, we are focused on iron ore types that are ultra low impurity. And so those naturally, when they get used in the steelmaking process, result in lower emissions per unit of steel. So as the world starts to price the cost of emissions for steelmaking, you're seeing this structural shift emerge now. 
and this new pricing environment for high quality, low impurity uh, forms of steel. So again, while iron ore might not jump off people's jump to people's minds in terms of the sustainability thematic, within the overall iron ore complex, there are some really, really powerful structural um, bifurcation, if you will, trends that are starting to emerge, and we're right in the middle of it. We're, we're sitting on royalties on the absolute top quality iron ore deposits right. in the world. And and you, I mean, what's interests me is the, the the timing of all this. So you, I guess you go, um, you're a contrarian. Is that, is that what you say? I have contrarian uh, views, um, or you're counter cyclical. I mean, I don't know how you want to position yourself, but you were doing it when people didn't think it was fashionable. It was hard to raise money for, quite frankly. Not that many people interested in it. Um, that seems to have changed in the market. So are you going to continue doing deals, doing M and A? Our bets are in, you know, the window has essentially closed there. Um, that was the period like, okay, let's go to the top of the last market cycle, say 2012 or so. We were flush with cash. We made so much money through that last market cycle. Uh, and we made that decision that what we would do is we would buy up cash flowing royalties uh, to augment the ones that we were creating with our generation business. Well, even then it wasn't the right time. I mean, there were other sources of capital around. But give it a few years and, you know, everything comes around in our business. And all of a sudden, the whole mining industry was on, looked like it was on credit watch by 2016. And not only was capital, after becoming very expensive, because sentiment was, was absolutely horrific, everything was going to zero, don't forget, by, at that point. Uh, it wasn't just expensive capital or, or, or other forms of, we weren't even competing with other forms of capital. It just wasn't there. So we got really busy through that period of time. And that's when we added, I don't know, 14 or 15 new royalties. And we picked royalties that we felt that in the fullness of cycles would ultimately get invested in and grow when conditions uh, presented again. Well, guess what? That's happened. And we're at that point now where we look forward to our growth coming from obviously just the better prices multiplying, you know, across these assets, better you know, volume times price, that's, that's the easy bit, but also the operators of the projects that we hold royalties on have got better prices. Now they've got incentivization in price and just in investor appetite. So they're about to collectively embark. The industry is about to collectively embark on a new wave of building, but we think we have assets that are going to get an outside share of that investment and would ultimately, ultimately grow in, grow up production volumes because we're at that point. But do we buy at this point on the M&A side? No, now is the point where we let the work we did when things were opportune um, play out and create value for our shareholders. And all these investments, this is really key, all of these investments that are going to come to grow up capacities in order to meet demand they'll be invested in by our partners. We'll have no share of that capital cost. It, it all comes for free at this point in the cycle. So it's the work you do in the down market that sets you up for the up market. We're not dollar cost averagers. We're not gonna chase the market up and be buyers right through. Uh, we've got lots of growth already built into our, our business for this up part of the cycle. You know, We're already starting to think about 
10 years out when we're on a down cycle again and where the next M&A opportunities are, but it, that's not now for us. See, that's what, that's what you mean by our bets are in, right? I, I, I think I understand that. I'm, what I'm trying to understand, as I said, new investor looking at you and thinking of coming in, you know, 17 bucks today, I think you were at like, crikey, I think it says here 10 bucks 89 when we spoke in November. You spent most of last year sort of it's quite volatile, moving between 10 and 15 bucks. And if I look back for the last, you know, three, four years, it's been, you know, fairly flat-ish, with a bit of volatility, but flat-ish. Is the inflection point now in because you've placed your bets, because you are going to reap what you've sown? Is, is that what I should be thinking? I think so. I mean, rather than just thinking about a company, oh, the market is hot, let's get some assets and ride the story. Well, you know, it's already too late. Sure, you can get a momentum short-term trade, but your buy price is, is going to be high here. Um, our bets are in, they're very long-term. They're on very expandable assets, great cost curve positions. So we just let that play out. So the easy bit, as I said, and this is what's happened since November, across the board, high quality iron ore, potash, copper, you name it. Like, you know, if you just did a percentage increase in the underlying commodities that we have exposure to relative to our share price, we're probably actually after lagging that that growth. But you know, that all that catches up with itself and that'll start to flow through into our revenues now, just on higher prices. It's really simple. But to me, when I look at what the growth, the, the longer term more embedded growth that comes is what those higher prices do to motivate the operators of the assets we hold interest in to grow out the production volumes. This is royalties. It's volume times price. Price is already there. Volume is coming. Well, okay. Well, okay. Let's talk about a few of those things. Okay. So if we look at your portfolio, um, and how many assets are material? I know you've got cash flows and we can, we can talk about those in a second, but say so how many, um, assets are materially advanced? I will add to the current cash flows over the next two years. I mean, we'll get into some kind of cash flow position in the next two years. I'd put that in two buckets, actually. It's expansions from existing cash flowing assets, and there's a few that are that are coming there. So we have uh, Lundin owns the Chapada mine. We have the stream there. They're heavily in, uh, right now, they're drilling a lot of uh, holes to define a resource, and they've got an expansion study underway. So we'll hear about, you know, to what extent that mine is going to likely expand. So that, that's coming. Uh, Rio Tinto owns the IOC mine, where we have an indirect royalty interest. They just announced last quarter new investments to grow up their production volumes. Um, fullness of the cycle, I expect they may even make deeper announcements around you know, full-blown expansions. On the potash side, there's already embedded growth potential there. It's already been paid for. There's a long lead time in potash from investment to when you, you bring it on. So you tend to pre-invest, if you will. So from last year's production levels, our volumes in potash can grow by 50% just to reach what's already been invested in. But here's the better part that at current growth rates would probably like they'll fill out the extra capacity that they have in the next, you know, say eight to 10 years. Well, guess what? It takes seven to 10 years to build new capacity. So not only are we going to look forward to that current extra capacity getting filled out somewhere in that in the reasonably near term, we think, We'll also hear about new investments to pre-invest in the next growth that's going to be needed. Um, and then as far as new developments go, so this would go to you know royalties that we might have created and generated more than a decade ago in some cases. 
because that's how long it takes now. You know, some of the ones that we're really excited about would include um, a royalty on the Cami iron ore mine in Labrador. That's just been acquired by Champion Iron Ore, a very successful uh, adjacent producer. So they're in, um, they're updating scoping studies there with plans to, um, you know, talk within the next, within the next year about uh, whether or not they're going to develop that. That could be so material to our business. That's a big royalty on a big project if it goes ahead. We have a royalty on Adventist Mining's Curry Pampa project in Ecuador, super high grade copper project. They've got a feasibility study coming out at the end of this year or later this year. And, um, you know, if the PEA results hold up, it's a wildly economic project. So again, we're at that point in the cycle where incentivization is there. Operators or new, you know, new developers, this is when they make these investments and make those decisions. That's the beauty of this part of the cycle for us. And we've got so much potential growth for free. Yeah, there's the, the, okay, so there's the organic growth from existing royalty streams, and then there's the potential from these royalties. That, like we've had Aventus on, and you know, they were, you know, it's, a good, it's an interesting story. But, and, and they're, they're all public companies, which is great. So there's a free flow of information there. But in, in terms of the way that you forecast and project out cash flows and when those cash flows are coming in, you base that on how many meters they're planning, you know, um, the, the times that they indicate. So the potential is one thing, but have you got a real sense of the, 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 the proximity of that incremental revenue that you're looking for from them? Well, with potash, it's the easiest one because it's already built, right? So, and you've got a big demand surge for potash right now because, you know, agricultural prices are taking you, you off. Do, you do, Brian, but you've also got a lot of competition and you've got some big players that are kind of control pricing and, and, and ability for companies to get into the market, right? So it's it's a question of if you if there's a route to market, if there are contracts to, to be signed in, what are the margins you're going to, well, it doesn't matter if margins to you, you've got the royalty, but um, do you know what I mean? There's, it, it, but it will drive their uh, decision-making in terms of how quickly they ramp this up and, you know, how much money they spend doing it. Too. So, how do do you just sit back and wait for the information to come to you, or are you in dialogue with these companies? The truth of it is, we're royalty holders, so we are passive, right? Our job is to just lay in bets that we believe are going to play out logically in the fullness of time. So, in the, like potash is a great example. Will competitive threats emerge that make these operators of the mines that we have? Uh, not ramp up their production rates? Will something more competitive come along? Well, if there's a more competitive source of potash than already built capacity in Saskatchewan that can outcompete, um, I'd like to know what planet is coming from, quite frankly. Yeah, but it's not that, but it's about sales and routes to market, isn't it? And th there are some big players in, in, in there. So they may, they may have all of those things, but it's they've got to sell the stuff. And I'm trying to understand if you know what the timing of that is, what the scale of the opportunity is, the ramp, and so, and so forth. It's a function of demand growth. But again, the assets that we have royalties on have such competitive positions that they can at least hold market share by feeding into it. And in fact, they're positioned to take market share here. And that's, you know, that's the long-term bet we've made, that our operators and our assets will outcompete. Um, other assets we bought them at when you could pick and choose yeah yeah you got you, you got in early i get it so the th things like altius you know the hunting copper 
again, timing. Use the case of lie in bed and wait for it to happen. You don't, don't really mind. You've got enough options on the table. Is that, is that what you're saying? We're passive. We just had to have picked enough right when it was opportune for things to play out. Near term, obviously, year over year, you can multiply uh, our volumes by twice the copper price. It's not hard to do the math on that. But again, where we get excited and where this bet really works out, we didn't just buy because the price was low and that when the price got higher, we'd make more money. And obviously there's timing issues related to that because if you're buying a bottom of cycle and you go into a wave of up cycle prices, well, it's going to have huge implications to your IRRs. But again, the key here is to see those top quality assets once the operators get incentive conditions around them, once their investors start screaming at them, saying, look, you're making this much money per unit of production, double up your production, right? That's where we're to right now, or we're about to be to. Um, so that's the exciting part to me is to see how many of these existing assets in 10 years time have a 2X volume uh, component to them or an idea that we had as an exploration project 10 years ago that in five or 10 years from now is now a major royalty that has a negative cost base in our structure. So it's a long game, like that. that's the thing here. This isn't about, oh, the cycle is on, let's do a bunch of stuff. You have to think about this business in, well, the last cycle from bottom to bottom took 16 years. That's the investment time frame you're dealing with per cycle, right? So it's not for everybody. I know how short term a lot of investing is these days, but um, fundamentally, we know that's the only route forward. That's the only path that that works long haul. And you don't dollar cost average. Take advantage of conditions when the market wants to sell assets at discounted prices. When operators want to sell product at below the price, the cost of, of, of operating and, and replacing for periods of time, well, then, you know, make your moves. And when the market has to pay up, like right now, like I got a kick out of the, you know, some of the stuff coming out of China last week about, oh, these prices are too high. Well, you know what? This is the price to actually bring on and replace production. The truth is you just had 10 years where you bought it at a discount, heavy discount to its real replacement cost. Pay the piper. Okay. You're up seven bucks from when we last spoke in November. Obviously, your current shareholders very happy about that one. But you must be attracting a different type of investor now. This is where the point where institutions get interested in you. Seven over seven hundred million market cap, I think seven twenty or something like that this morning. Um, that's got to be quite appealing for you, I suspect. But they're going to be asking the same questions that I am, which is. Let's look at your cash profile and the you know sustained cash profile going forward. I mean, so what are you, what are you saying to them? What what are you telling them? Um, that on average, our assets have a longer duration attached to them than pretty much any royalty company you're going to find out there. Find out there. So there is that annuity like element to the bought and paid for base of royalty uh, royalties that we hold, and we've been very focused over the years on growth coming on a per share basis. 25 year anniversary coming up next year, 42 million shares outstanding, um, no rollbacks, lots of buybacks. Uh, whenever the market wants to serve it up right for us, we'll buy it back, no problem. 
So it is translating. You know, you can see the per share growth that's happening in the business. For a period of time now, it's reasonable to expect that to, you know, again, just to multiply by the price moves we've already had, never mind what might be ahead, you know, the numbers should be really, really strong. But again, um, volumes across existing assets that'll be here for, in some cases, a thousand years uh, within the structure. Um, that's the simple story here. Per share, long-term, counter-cyclical growth. Right. So it's going to appeal to some, not all. Royalties have generally, though, seen uh, some high demand recently. So high, such high demand that two things are happening. You've got small new entrants coming into the space, predominantly going after precious metals, but a few of them talking your language. We're talking using your phrasing, which is you know EV thematics here to stay. We're going to see uh, what we can do about that and see how we can uh, create value by jumping on that bandwagon, what's the chance of success? Um, I mean, some will make it work. Some will build up assets on, on projects that will get funded and built because the broader you know, forces are there to make these projects happen. Um, so yeah, there, there will be, we won't own it ourselves for uh, you know the way we have. For a lot, most of our history, we were told by investors and other royalty companies, experienced royalty players for that matter, that the royalty model doesn't work for the non-precious metal space. And I don't know if it was just stubbornness or um, I, I don't know what it was, but we've obviously stuck with it. And I believe that the portfolio that we have right now, I wouldn't trade it for any gold royalty portfolios, quite frankly. These mines have much longer resource lives they're more fundamental. They, they provide real things to the world. They will grow and they need, you know, they, they need to keep going and more of them need to be brought on. And those more that need to be brought on for those new entrants, great. Um, we're probably not a big competitor for you for the next little bit, but look out when things get right again. We'll be there again. By right again, you mean cheap again? When the market undervalues assets at that part of the cycle when the market says the mining industry is a horrible place where capital gets destroyed and companies are on credit watch again um, we'll be taking a different view and we'll be stepping in and it's not opportunistic or, or you know sort of you know, I, I don't know how else to put it there's a place for people like us when the time comes you've got cash when the time comes cash when the time comes. Okay. Talk to me about we're going, to we're going to build it up for a while now. That's our job. Right. And I understand that. And, I, and that makes a lot of sense. Get, 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 get focused. So that kind of brings us on neatly to the difference between M&A growth, which you've been doing a lot of, and organic growth. And I'm sort of keen to understand how you influence organic growth, because really, you've already told me you're going to just sit back and, and wait and see, don't you? So organic growth is at the behest of the companies that you've got royalties on, can you influence in any way? Do you want to? We're pretty passive in this. I mean, the job is to choose well when you buy. You want to pick for a couple of things, right? You want projects, you want to buy royalties on projects that have big resource lives. Now, whether that's already identified and, and articulated at the time, or whether because we're a very technical group, we can just see it. 
And so you just know that there's going to be plenty of resource here so that when the time comes, uh, this is a mine that can have its life extended or the production rate can be expanded because it has enough resource. It's always easier and cheaper to do brownfields expansion. And then the other sort of predictor is what's its uh, competitive position? How does it stack up against other assets in the world, either based on today's cash cost profile or where you think that overall cash uh, cash cost profile is going to be? If you've got big resources, super competitive operations, quality operators, predict for that and let it play. You just let it play at that point. There'll be massive amounts of capital invested going forward from here. We're in incentivization conditions again. This is when it happens. And we believe an outsized amount of that's gonna come from assets that we hold royalties on. And the beauty of it is, is that we have no share of that capital as a royalty holder, uh, but we're full beneficiaries. And to the extent that inflation, which everybody's talking about right now, you know, really does rare itself, whether it's in the form of, um, you know, lower grade copper deposits getting built, which is basically geological inflation, if you will. Uh, and it comes with a higher capital and operating cost, whether it's uh, governments wanting a bigger stake, you know, those are inflationary forces. Unions, right? They've basically been 10 years with falling prices and not much leverage. Well, it's here now and look out. If you don't think all these forces are about to come to bear, um, not what I remember over the last 25 or 30 years in this business. This is when all that stuff comes. Well, all of that ultimately builds into the cost of winning the different metals, which has to translate into higher prices ultimately, right? If it's higher cost, well then, you know, it's a higher price to, to... So I guess what I'm trying to say is that for the operators, some of this price move that you're seeing won't really matter all that much. There's not going to be that much marginal impact. Your costs have gone up as much or more in some cases than the price moves have. Perfect, perfect protection um, is the royalty, where you get the benefits of the higher price that inflation causes with no share of the cost itself. Like This is the model for inflation protection, if you want. Yeah. Yeah, we've, we've talked about that with a couple of other uh, royalty companies. In fact, so one of the things we were looking at, and I keep mentioning, um, you know, cash and, and, and cash on cash, um, but haven't actually nailed you down on it yet, so I haven't asked you properly, which, is some, which I'm going to now, which is, you know, how do you, um, I mean, what are you trading at versus your cash flow? I think that's always a nice indicator of where you're at. Yeah, so 2016, our cash flow per share would have been sub 40 cents. Uh, last year, 2020, that would have been close to $1.20. So there's been some really good per share accretion on a, on a cash flow basis, revenue basis, however you want to want to look at that. And obviously in the near term at these prices, you know, that was 2020. Well, we're probably 50% higher than that in terms of commodity prices across the board. So yeah, it'll, you know, cash flow per share is definitely growing. Very disciplined about our number of shares outstanding. We protect our denominator fiercely and we let the numerator take care of itself through the cycle, basically. Okay. Well, look, um, look I appreciate the catch up today, uh, Brian. It's, it's nice to sort of see how, how you've been developing things. You're very clear on your message. No more MA. Bets are placed. Now looking to reap the rewards and um, in terms of that value, you think that will continue to grow, especially in this market? Yeah, it's, it's the natural rhythm. Things are just playing out the way they always have, quite frankly. 
I mean, one comment I will make about these cycles, though, is they do feel like they're getting longer. Three cycles ago, when I would have been starting, you know, everyone would have talked about, oh, it's a seven to 10 year cycle. Well, the last one was, you know, 16 years. And I think it just has to do, it has to do with the fact that once you reach this point in the cycle, which I'll call, you know, the incentivization point, when prices have reached that point where people can, it's permissive to build again. Uh, from that point to when you actually get the supply coming into the market, which is of course what unravels everything, right? It's, it's that supply response ultimately that, that puts you back to the other side of the cycle. Uh, it's just not easy anymore. It's not quick. So you get incentivization conditions, but you might be 10 years out before it actually hits the market. So, you know, these are the kinds of things that change. The more things change, the more they stay the same, but there are definitely some, some nuances and differences to bear in mind. But, but I mentioned what you just said there, actually. I was going to wrap it up, but let me, forgive me. Um, you're saying, like, given these prices, you said, it could be as much as, you know, 50% you're looking at, right? Is that because you don't really have a line of sight as to how quickly your, your current royalty um, holder, sorry, you are the royalty, but the, the, the current companies that you're working with um, are able to advance their projects or you they're just not forthcoming with information because you are taking a passive role in this one and you will sit back and, and, and see. So pricing this year will be your definition of success rather than any of this organic growth from existing um uh, royalties is, is, is that what you're saying yeah like we've crossed that incentive line whatever it was i don't know we will have to look back and say what the day was but it was within the past few months so the first leg of that is the price we'll get the benefits of those higher prices and now you're looking for signals from the operators about investments in assets that we hold that will ultimately lead to volume growth through the duration of this upcycle period Everything in its time. Everything in its time. Everything in its time. I, I agree. Uh, I also like the inf inflation-proof uh, investment too. Uh, Brian, like, as always, really, really enjoyed that. I suspect we'll see you in about six months' time, will we? Probably somewhere between the end of fishing season and the beginning of hunting we can schedule something. Now we know how to track you down. Good. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for today. There's really enjoyed natural it. everything, right? There's a natural rhythm to everything. Uh, yeah, a, a man who loves cycles. Okay, well, we'll see you soon. All right, thanks very much. Appreciate it as always. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.